So as you know, we, uh, we have been talking about this J-curve thing, and uh, last week Dave started talking about the love J-curve. He's going to pick up on that. Um, this idea of this, this old self that we're born with, that we still continue to walk around with every once in a while, often, regularly. The old self rears its ugly head. And, uh, and so we need to live in a certain way as disciples of Jesus. And so we've got this old life, and there are things in our old life that continue to try to come back to life, right? Selfishness, self-seeking, self-justifying, self-protective ways of living. And, and so what we have to do is we, we want to get better at recognizing that. We want the Spirit to bring conviction to our hearts. And as we do that, we recognize it and we turn from it. We put it to death. And on the other side of death and the pain of not getting our own way, right? Because we like that, comes resurrection. Resurrection to, to new life, to more freedom from sin. More and more freedom, more and more joy, more and more uh, fruits of the Spirit growing on the tree of our life. I don't think there's anybody in this room or anybody online that doesn't want more of the fruits of the Spirit, doesn't want to flourish. So this morning we're going to look at a, a familiar passage actually in John 4. It's the Samaritan woman. She connects with Jesus at the well, and we're going to read that together. John 4, 7 and 19. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did all his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give to him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and, can have, and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now live with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. We've been, we talked a couple of weeks ago about life in God's kingdom versus life in man's kingdoms. And here Jesus is modeling for us a new policy. A policy that fits squarely in the kingdom of God. It's a new policy that King Jesus is enacting and one that doesn't jive real well with the kingdoms of man, particularly the kingdoms of the Samaritans and the kingdoms of the Jew. 
So we've got this woman, and she's clearly taken aback by, by this request. We see it right in the beginning. So we've got a Samaritan woman. First, she's Samaritan, okay? What do we know? Samaritans and Jews are like oil and water. They don't get along. They're not supposed to get along. They're told not to get along. Do not get along. So we've got a, we've got a bit of an issue right there. We also know that she is an outcast. She's a sinner. We know this because she's drawing water midday when it's brutally hot if she wasn't if she she should have been should have been with the other women earlier in the day in the cool of the morning Um, and so only outcasts and sinners go to a well midday tuck that one away third middle east cultures men don't stir up conversations with women that's a no-no and to, to make kind of matters a little sketchier, certainly not women considered sinners and outcasts. And we know her background, right? So Jesus, Jesus is in a pickle here. He's in a bit of a pickle. But he's over here. See the contrast. We got a man, you've got a woman. You've got a Samaritan, you've got a Jew, right? Jesus is a rabbi, he's a holy man. He's like, in, in people's estimation, the opposite of what's going on here, right? He's a respected teacher. He's not supposed to be there. He's not supposed to be there. How's Jesus supposed to respond to this woman? Any guesses? How about rejection? How about, nuts, what are you doing here? Get up and run. Or shame her. Beat her up, not beat her up, but you know, get out of there, right? Rejection, judgment, treat her with contempt, scare her off, leave her in a mess but headed the other way so you don't get caught with her, right? That's what he's supposed to do as a good Jew. I mean, beyond the fact that he shouldn't have been there in the first place, so he kind of messed that one up. Jesus messed that up. If he was living according to those policies, he wouldn't have been there, right? So here we're at the, we're back to the shame honor continuum. We've got Jesus up here. He's worthy, he's good, he's acceptable, he's lovable, he's loving. And then we've got our Samaritan woman. Shame, failure, unworthy, inadequate, unlovable. She feels that way. Everybody else thinks that she should feel that way. Everybody thinks that that's absolutely true of her. She is unworthy, inadequate, unlovable, refuse, worthless. But Jesus, here's the good news for the Samaritan woman. Jesus doesn't function that way. He doesn't function within the policies of man's little kingdoms here. He was on mission with his father. And I believe he knew exactly what he might run into showing up at a well on a really hot day, midday. Do you think, I mean, Jesus was the smartest man to ever live. Do you think he screwed this up? This was no mistake, was it? He knew full well who he might run into. 
And instead of shaming and rejecting her, treating her with contempt, getting out of there, Jesus responds to his enemy with enemy love, with self-giving love. And he risks his reputation to offer her the gospel, to offer her good news of living water. In the passage, it's obvious that he's speaking to her spiritual need. She's probably thirsty as well as she's walked there. Um, But she's not grasping that. We kind of pick up on that. But he's trying to reveal to her that nothing we enjoy in the physical world will produce lasting satisfaction. To our grads today, the pursuit of wealth and education and prestige and success and exhilarating experiences, that's all fun. We're going we're gonna to have those things, right? We're going to have those experiences, but they go away, unfortunately, right? We have a great time. It's like, wow, that was amazing. And you're like, yeah, he's a huge high. And then the next day, you're like, yeah, what do we want? More. We want to do it again, do it again, do it again. That's why we, that's why we go to amusement parks, and right, Disney? Oh, do it again, do it. Okay, so you go do it again. There aren't too many places where we can just experience that. But this, this pursuit of, of, of stuff and things and experiences doesn't satisfy the heart, doesn't satisfy our souls. Our souls can only be satisfied by Jesus. And Jesus explains to the Samaritan woman that the water he can provide is lasting. That it will, that it will well up a, like a water springing up to eternal life. That imagine the spring just never ending. That's the beauty about springs. They're always nice and cold and they just keep showing up with water. And how does she respond to that? Give me that. Give me that water. And yet she doesn't really comprehend that it's not water, and, but Jesus gets there, right? Strikes me that I, I wonder when the last time, or if ever, someone has shared the gospel news with this woman. She's on husband, she's after, this is after husband five, she's on boyfriend, I guess, six. How long has she been ostracized and, and considered unclean and rejected? A decade? More? How long has she been like that, where people have been avoiding her? And Jesus sees value in meeting up with her. Listen to how Jesus speaks. And he speaks invasive and unsettling truth. Like, it's kind of, it's not like the first time you see somebody, you're like, hey, Karen. And then I, then I, then I just start listing off all her sins. Right? That's a little awkward, but it's in a sense, it's almost how Jesus did that. Right? But I think he did it to wow her, to prove that he's a prophet. Like, this, it's kind of funny. Sir, I'm thinking you might be a prophet. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> no kidding. He just ripped off her whole life. She responds, I have no husband. Jesus then commends her. Right? He builds her up. He doesn't shame her. He doesn't treat her as if she's not worthy. He doesn't dehumanize and treat her like she's less of a human, partial human, whatever, right? He doesn't dehumanize her. He continues to value her and increase the value in her by paying attention. He sticks around. He continues the conversation, right? 
All of these things are key to to what's going on, what the policy that Jesus is enacting for the disciples. They're going to come back. They're going to hear about this. All sorts of people hear about this further in the story. Keep reading. They're going to hear about what's going on in the kingdom of God, and it's going to sound like really good news to a lot more people, even though it makes the Samaritans and the Jews angry, and we know what happens, don't we? She's, she's on to number six, man, and, right? So, so there's proof. There's, she's been trying to quench thirst, thirst of belonging, looking for love in and amongst all of that. There are several other places in the Bible where the Bible uh, uses imagery of thirst and water and souls. And uh, one in Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me the fountain of the living water, and have dug their own cisterns that cannot hold water. Friends, these words ring true of the human condition. The state of many souls in our world today are parched. You know, maybe you walked in and you're, maybe you're parched. Maybe you've been parched. Maybe you're close to parched. People are dried up still trying to satisfy our souls with other things. Houses, stuff, cars, jobs, toys, relationships, climbing the corporate ladder, earning degrees, right? All these sorts of things. Power, sex, money. But they are unfulfilling. They last for a, for a whisper of time. We're left wanting more. We can't hold on to it. And so I want to ask you a question this morning, or three. Are you forsaking, avoiding, and holding God at arm's length, and thereby suffering from a parched soul these days? Signs of a parched soul might be A short fuse, shorter than it used to be. Anger, trying to escape through buying stuff, having stuff, pursuing relationships you ought not pursue. Or maybe you're withdrawing, complaining, gossiping, slandering, lusting. Those are signs of a parched soul. Jesus has water for us, friends. But are you parched? And if you are parched, are you holding God at arm's length? Are you feeling shame? He doesn't want to hang out with me. Ah, screwed it up again. No, I'm going to give him the stiff arm. I'm not going to let God, right? Why do we do that? We do that because sometimes we think bad things about God. We got some bad theology. We think wrong thoughts about God and and what he wants to do in this transformation. Or maybe we think bad, wrong, untrue thoughts about ourselves. And we roll with it and we just, no, God, I am unworthy, I'm shame. Right, that's how it works. It's how the enemy of our soul whips us up and turns us away from the only one that can give us the water that we need to quench what's what needs quenching. 
I pray. Jesus, we ask that you would help. We ask that you would pour out water, your living water on us. Hang on a second, guys. <laughs> we ask that you would help and quench our thirst. In Jesus' name. I'm not quite done. That wasn't the real prayer. That was an impromptu prayer. I'm sorry. So you guys can come up anyway, because I won't be too much longer. Sorry, I don't know how to deal with those things in the moment. St. Augustine of Hippo puts it this way. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Here's another one that, that I just, that it literally popped up while I was preparing this week. And I'm not going to pretend to say this dude's name, so I'm going to call him Saint Cav. It took me about five minutes just to type his name right to find his picture. I'm not kidding. <laughs> but, he, but he says, when people are empty of Christ, a thousand and one other things come and fill him up. Jealousies, hatreds, boredom, melancholy, resentment and a worldly outlook, worldly pleasures. Try to fill our soul, or try to fill your soul with Christ so that it's not empty. I thought, isn't that, isn't that it? The cup's gonna get filled up. The cup's gonna get filled up, but it's not gonna get filled up if you're not putting Jesus in there. It's gonna get filled up with something. The reality is the last 15 months or so have been really, really tough on our souls I'm tired. I know many of you are tired. I've had conversations with many of you. We've had the, all these conflicting issues in life and society, and, and it's drained us. I think even the, the, the most intentional person still has gotten drained. Right? We're tired, right? But it speaks to why we need to be intentional about our time with Jesus, connecting with him, receiving this living water from him. Being together with, in community, be it here in this building or online or elsewhere where we're having conversations, where we're encouraging one another to keep going, keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, I always assume that Jesus, like maybe you do too, Jesus, like he never, he never messes it up. He never seems to run out of gas. He always has what he needs in the moment. And, and I kind of just blow by that. I don't, I don't think about the fact that he was a human. It's easy to just kind of, oh, he's Jesus. Like, psh, of, course, of course he didn't react like I would have in that moment. But in all the teaching and the healing and, and dealing lovingly, ministering and loving on people, serving them all day long, he never gets short at the end. He never runs out of gas. How is that? Well, sometimes, you know, we, we I don't know, we, I've been, we did the, uh, the Gospel of John, the handwriting of, of John, and, and I know that for many of you, you've done that, and you, it slowed you down, and maybe like me, you, you've picked up on some new things, and uh, you know, we, we may have paid a little more attention to Jesus kind of gulping down some living water. He's in the synagogue, as was his custom. He goes to the synagogue, he participates in Sabbath every day, every week, right? Probably Sabbath every day, but he takes a whole day, right? Goes up on the mountainside to pray. 
After a busy stretch of worship, he, he goes away to worship and pray and lament, connect with his father, connect with his deep-hearted disciples and, their, and his friends. There's a quote that I'm going to share from David Taylor. He's a Fuller Seminary uh, professor. And I ran across this a couple weeks ago, and, and it, really, it really fits in my mind with this passage. And here's what he says, or here's what he said. He said, whether it's politics, race, theology, sexuality, or otherwise, one question is paramount. Do I have a real friendship with somebody on the other side of the aisle? If I don't, it's all too easy to objectify and dehumanize the other. And here's where we see Jesus. And the gospel, the policy of the kingdom of God, demands that we do otherwise. Demands that we do otherwise. The story of the Samaritan woman ticks every one of these boxes. Jesus doesn't reject her because of her cultural background. He doesn't avoid her because of her race or because of her reputation. He doesn't shame her over her sexual sin. He shows her love by engaging with her for a long time. It wasn't just like he was real nice to her and then, okay, I better get out of here. He stays there and engages with her. He doesn't shy away from, her, from addressing her, her past sexual sin. But the way he does it was with truth and grace and compassion. Jesus embodies and offers the Samaritan woman the good news of the gospel. Probably straightened out some of her theology too. Jesus made friends with this lonely woman from Samaria. She wouldn't have to thirst any longer. Can you hear Jesus' invitation to your parched soul this morning? I'm going to just invite you to close your eyes. Can you hear this? Wherever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, Jesus says, just come home. Just come home and drink of my living water. We'll work the rest of your mess out in good time. Jesus, we are thirsty for affirmation, for esteem, for love, and so many more things. We tend to seek these things in this world's stagnant ponds. But you offer us living, fresh water. You give us your spirit to confirm our value to you. You call us your children. Would you help us to drink deeply and receive the goodness you offer us today. You are truly our Savior, our God, our friend. Help us to be satisfied in you. Thank you for crossing boundaries to hunt us down. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.